It's Friday, September 15th, and from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is Pennsylvania Legacies. I'm Josh Rollerson. 2017's been a pretty good year to be a tree in Pennsylvania, with plenty of rainfall throughout the summer and ideal growing conditions overall. State foresters are predicting an exceptionally vivid display of fall foliage this year. When I inspect the trees, I see vigor. The pigments within the leaf, they're in an an extremely healthy state. So the stage is being set for an absolutely fantastic year. On this week's show, we talk about why leaves change color and how climate change could affect the process in the future. We'll also get tips on where to go and when to go there to get the most out of this year's bounty of fall colors in the Commonwealth. That's all coming up. But first, let's get an update on what's been happening with the state budget process. This week, the state House of Representatives voted to siphon hundreds of millions of dollars away from special funds set aside to pay for local watershed cleanups, recycling programs, trail development, and much more. It's ostensibly to help pay for the spending plan that became law earlier this summer, but it does nothing to fix the Commonwealth's $2 billion structural deficit. And if approved by the Senate, this would mean the biggest cut in state funding for environmental and energy projects in Pennsylvania history. For more, we turn to the former secretary of the State Department of Environmental Protection and the publisher of the Pennsylvania Environment Digest blog, David Hess. Mr. Secretary, welcome back to the show. I wish I could say I was glad to be here, but but thanks for having me on. It's been quite a week, huh? Tough topics this week. Yeah, well, just the one topic I think that we're going to focus on, and that is the uh, House revenue package, or a chunk of it anyway, that was approved earlier this week, and specifically the $317 million in withdrawals from environmental program funds. What uh, passed late Wednesday night was, I think, fair to say marginally better than what we might have been anticipating earlier, but still pretty abysmal. Well, it it is awful. I mean, it, it, it is still the, the largest cut in environmental funding in the history of Pennsylvania. And it passed only with House Republican votes, 103 to 91. It was a party line vote. And uh, I mean, you can go down the list of funds that are hit. The recycling fund, they, they want to take 70 million. That's just about two years worth of income. The Environmental Stewardship and Growing Greener Fund, $70 million. Keystone Recreation Park and Conservation Fund, $50 million. They want to take money away from county conservation districts, $2.5 million, which again is a, a huge chunk of the income that goes into that fund every year. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And you've posted the list at uh, PA Environment Digest, and we've cross-posted it for you, so there's plenty of ways to get a hold of that information, but needless to say, it is uh, breathtaking. Is it fair to say that environmental and energy programs have taken the biggest hit? Well, there's no question they have. I mean, the, the total number of transfers and withdrawals amounted to about $630.5 million. Uh, of that 300, over $317 million were environmental energy and some multimodal funds, which you know fund bike trails and things of that sort. So over half of it was from environmental funds. And that, that is consistent. The only thing they dropped out of the list of environmental funds from a previous version they came up with was taking money away from ag preservation and the hazardous sites cleanup fund. So for all intents and purposes, this is the same proposal to decimate 
you know, all these programs. You know, environmental groups are not the only ones that are complaining loudly about these cuts. It's counties, it's townships, other municipalities. Uh, it's really across the board. Farmers have come out, you know, opposed to these cuts. So it's sort of the world against those 103 House Republicans that decided to support these plans. This vote on Wednesday was a big development this week, but the matter still hasn't gone before the Senate. There's other revenue-related legislation that's still kind of up in the air. Uh, And we'll get to that in a moment, but focusing specifically on the fund transfers, where is the governor on this? Well, the governor has come out opposed to it. Um, The Senate and House Democrats have come out opposed to it. Um, The Senate Republicans basically said they will take a a look at it, but at the same time said, you know, there's nowhere near this kind of money in these special funds to, to, to balance the budget. But they gave, they gave them points, the House Republicans points for at least trying something. So I, I, I think the Senate Republicans who control the Senate, um, are not giving this a, a kind reception there. Um, but the next step in this process actually may occur today um, as we record this. Uh, the governor a couple weeks ago said if a revenue package was not on his desk by September 15th, he would have no choice but to act. And the reason September 13th is critical is that they projected the the state's Pennsylvania's general fund uh, checking account, if you will, uh, will fall to zero on September 15th. And at the same time, there are about $860 million worth of bills that are coming due today, the 15th. So, you know, the governor said he will act. He said one of the things he may do is freeze state funding across the board, a lot of state funding to bring current revenue in line with the bills that need to be paid. So we look forward to that action. And it, it's not going to be pretty. Well, yeah. And as again, as we record this, it's Friday morning about 10 o'clock. So a, a big shoe waiting to drop later today. It's likely that a lot of people hearing this will be living in the future when this has already happened. But in any case, we're anticipating a pretty seismic development from the governor in the next few hours. It seems to me that that, that would be taking this to a whole other level, freezing spending. How does that affect the dynamic? Does that work ag- against the interest of people that would like to see these funds preserved? The, the point almost everybody is making, except for the House Republicans that passed this budget plan, is that the state is, is facing what they call a critical structural deficit. You know, it, it goes back to the fact that for environmental programs, for the last decade, they've been cut and cut and cut, and DEP staff in particular was cut by 25%. Now they're going to take you know, the House Republicans propose to take all this money from these different funds that fund community environmental projects, not the agencies, but the community environmental projects. So they're attacking these programs in a different direction. And I think that the intent behind the House Republican plan was made clear by one Republican member 
who was quoted in the Harrisburg paper this week as saying, we're erasing 30 years of a lot of people's work around here. And I'm sure a lot of people are upset about that. That's an extraordinary quote. Well, and again, one of the arguments that these House Republicans have used is this is unused money or reserves. And everybody else, everyone else, including the people who get money from these funds, is saying that is simply not true. I mean, this is this is a huge debate right now, a huge debate. Well, I'm wondering if we're looking at a spending freeze that's imminent, how that affects public education, public transportation, all these other programs that maybe have more visibility in the day-to-day life of some Pennsylvanians. Are we entering a period in which lawmakers might be more responsive or more vulnerable to pressure from constituents? Would this be a good time if people haven't already become involved? Would this be a particularly important time to contact their elected representatives and let them know what they think about this? Well, absolutely, because the the House Republicans just passed these cuts to all these environmental funds that affect communities because they're the ones that propose these projects. So it's it's a shot right at the heart of communities, nonprofit groups, anyone that is hoping to get funds for a local park, for watershed cleanup, for a whole range of things, even a municipal recycling program. So it's going to affect them. This is a shot directly at their heart and and not, you know, something more distant like a cut in a state agency's budget. This is directed at them. And of course, the other unresolved matter that we've talked a lot about in the past few weeks, certain riders to uh, Senate legislation that would make drastic and really misguided changes to, uh, to the way permitting works in DEP. That uh, remains unresolved too, right? Has there been any movement on that front? No, the, the bills that contain the, the most egregious environmental riders were not acted on by the House. But part of the package that was passed by the, the House Republicans was yet another transfer from D- DCNR's oil and gas lease funds to support other programs, which the state Supreme Court has already said is unconstitutional. So, you know, we'll have to see how that all shakes out because additional legal action is still pending on that particular issue. Well, again, it's been a tumultuous week and it looks like it's only going to get more intense for at least the short term. So um, we will be keeping a close eye on the PA Environment Digest blog. I'd urge people to go there and uh, dig into the details of how programs and projects in their community might be affected by these proposed fund transfers, uh, find out who their elected representatives are and how to contact them. If you don't already know, you can find all of that on the PEC website at PECPA.org. Again, keep an eye on David Hess and the EPA Environment Digest blog. Mr. Secretary, thanks again for your time today. Sure. Glad to talk with you.
These last few weeks have brought a bit of a cold snap to much of Pennsylvania, particularly the heavily wooded northern tier. That's prompted the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources to move up its schedule for fall foliage reports. DCNR's Bureau of Forestry says leaf season in Pennsylvania will begin in earnest in less than a week. They'll have their first report out September 21st instead of the 28th. For more on what to expect this fall, let's bring in DCNR environmental education specialist Ryan Reed. Ryan, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Can we start with, since I know you have a teaching background, just a little bit of science education, what is it that happens exactly chemically, biologically every fall when these leaves turn colors? Why does that happen? Well, that's a great question, and I'm sure one that that many people would like to know. It it really is all about survival for a tree. A, A tree will shed its leaves. Of course, we call those trees deciduous trees. They shed their leaves essentially for preservation of of water, to stay hydrated. Deciduous trees, if if you take a look at the leaves microscopically, what you'll see is that they are are highly vascularized, meaning that they have the ability to transpire water, much the same way as we perspire, trees transpire. So when trees transpire, they are giving off water vapor. And of course, this is a normal function, but that rate would be sped up as the air cools. Mm -hmm. Cool air will hold less moisture and therefore be more drying. So a tree basically does not want to dry out. It wants to conserve its water. And ultimately, dropping leaves is like saying, hey, the growing season is over. I can't make any more food for myself. And survival for me now depends upon maintaining my water balance. Just lock it down for the winter. That's right. But what particular species of trees are we talking about here? Which ones produce the most vibrant imagery? Well, when we say fall foliage, the species that pops right into my mind are the maples. Mm -hmm. We have an abundance of maples throughout Pennsylvania, and they produce fantastic colors. I think about the sugar maples. The sugar maples, of course, are are tapped for maple syrup. The sugar maples produce a fantastic yellowish, orangish red sometimes, depending upon the individual trees or the stand, the area where where they're found. Then, of course, the red maples. We have uh, that species. Red maples, like their name implies, produce that brilliant red color, that fiery red color that we all really enjoy. The next thing that I think about uh, throughout Pennsylvania is, of course, our, our oaks. Our oaks are, are interesting because they're a little delayed. Their, their color won't be seen until perhaps after the maples. Mm-hmm. And they're very well known for that red color or rusty red color that you get typically a week or two after the maples have peaked. We also have an abundance of, of hickory trees that produce a fantastic array of colors. When I think about the shagbark hickories and pignut hickories, I'm thinking about those uh, those fiery red colors, perhaps orange, some are yellow. It depends on the area. I also think about an early harbinger of color, which is the black gum. The black gum will produce some really beautiful yellows, sometimes mm. touching a little bit into the, the orange territory. We have a wide array of species producing a wide palette of those colors. And uh, that's what one thing that makes Pennsylvania so special as well. What is it chemically going on within the leaves? Everybody knows about chlorophyll, but what makes one tree red and another orange? 
it really boils down to the proportion of the pigments that are within the leaf. I could throw out some technical names for you, but people have probably heard of carotenoids, which are typically oranges and yellows, depending upon their exact formulation. And so a tree perhaps with an abundance of orange carotenoid pigments, that's going to, to exhibit an orangish color. And it's really about kind of uh, pulling back the blind, if you will. Chlorophyll is the number one main pigment within a leaf. And of course, we know that that reflects green. We see green when we look at a tree. Well, the tree says, hey, I'm, I don't need chlorophyll anymore. I don't need to capture sunlight anymore. We're going to go dormant. And so it cuts off production of chlorophyll. And once that chlorophyll degrades, there's nothing there to hide those carotenoids. Um, there are some others. Uh, for instance, uh, anthocyanins produce more of the, the red mm -hmm. colors. When the leaves change, I gather that a lot of your job involves telling people exactly where they should go and when they should go there. As we record this, it's early September, so we're definitely coming up on peak season, right? Absolutely. And it's a very exciting time for, for those of us who have a strong appreciation for Penn's Woods. I know that I look forward to this season more than any season in Pennsylvania. And uh, yes, in, in the next two weeks or so, we're going to start seeing some some very encouraging, strong signs of leaf change. I've already noticed a few minor changes around. I was just up in the Northumberland area, and I did notice a few early signs. In the coming weeks, you're going to start seeing some fairly uh, encouraging signs of, of the, the display that's to come. And of course, it's beautiful every year, but this year it's going to be especially intense, I hear. Yes, it should be a fabulous year for fall foliage. We had a surplus of rainfall this year in Pennsylvania across almost the entire state. When I inspect the trees, I see vigor. Trees grew fantastically this year. They were very healthy. And, of course, that leads to biochemical success, if you will, within the leaf. And so when you think about the, the pigments within the leaf that are enabling all the biological functions... They're in an, an extremely healthy state. So I expect this year's display to be fabulous. We are starting to get some cold, not cold, but cooler temperatures than we typically have in, in uh, this time in September. So the stage is being set for an absolutely fantastic year. So do you have any favorite mm -hmm. spots? Well, for me, of course, uh, my family has land in Huntington County, mm. and that's actually right next to we. Our land actually abuts the Roth Rock State Forest. Um, there's uh, two sections to it, essentially, and, and our land abuts the southern section of Roth Rock State Forest. So, of course, that's my—I'm very biased when it comes to what I appreciate and why. I spend a lot of time up there in the fall, and so, of course, I appreciate being there. Um, typically, that's about the second week of October, mm -hmm. um, and so I love I love going there. But more locally, there there are some very very wonderful places to go. Um, you know, we have the Wiser State Forest here in this particular forest district. We also have uh, just north of Harrisburg some unbelievable opportunities there as well. If you get up into perhaps the the Stony Valley or Clark's Valley, Powell's Valley. That network of mountains there, there's, there's wonderful opportunities for viewing fall foliage there. 
of course, the state forest that you would find in, in those regions. Tuscarora State Forest is a wonderful, fairly local area uh, to view fall foliage. You can, of course, travel a little bit south to the Michaud State Forest. The opportunities are abundant. It just really depends on how far you want to drive. I think about this time of year, I think of everybody driving up to Penn State for the football games. Mm -hmm. The display is fabulous if you take that route up Route 322, the Seven Mountains area. Lots of state parks there, Poe Paddy, Poe Valley, Reeds Gap. Beautiful areas to go and, and observe. The state parks are a wonderful resource for that. Gifford Pinchot uh, in York County is a great place to view fall foliage. Little Buffalo is a, a fairly close option as well. DCNR with the, the Bureau of State Parks, Bureau of Forestry, the, the resources are extremely abundant. Mm-hmm. And you have some information resources, too, on, on the DCNR website to kind of help people plan a trip? Absolutely, yeah. If you go to our webpage, one of our most popular sites on, on the, uh, the webpage is, is our recreation site. And then you can just navigate from within there. We were, we were talking about observing fall foliage as being a popular activity in part because it's such a low barrier to entry. Literally, anybody can just get in the car and admire the scenery. It doesn't take any training to appreciate just at a glance the beauty. But as a, a forester, as a, as a specialist and, a, and an educator, what do you look for? What, do you, what would you tell people to keep their eyes open for as they go out looking at leaves? What can they learn from paying attention to what they're seeing? Well, I think the most important thing that anyone can learn, and, and it sounds very basic, but when, when you're observing fall foliage and, and you're, you're seeing that display of reds and oranges and yellows, just stop for a moment and think about that. What a gift, what a treasure that is. That beauty is just extremely valuable. This is a gift that we're given in Pennsylvania. I don't know if anyone or how many people are aware of the fact of how long our fall foliage season is in Pennsylvania. It's been said by numerous experts that it's the longest in the world. Hmm. So when you think about that carrying out over perhaps a month of time, that's quite a gift. When you think of that being such a wonderful gift that, that Mother Nature gives us, then it opens the door to think about all the other gifts that those woods, those forest resources are giving us. It opens the door to appreciate clean air, clean water, wildlife habitat, places to go for recreation, for hiking, for bird watching, hunting, fishing. Think about all those ancillary benefits that come with that. And on top of it, you have this incredible scenery around you with the fall foliage. So to me, that's the most valuable lesson that fall foliage could possibly teach you. If you want to talk more biologically, you can think about the lessons of evolution. When times get tough, sometimes it's important to batten down the hatches. I think about in in the world of wildlife, think about what a black bear does. Think about what a groundhog does. They're true hibernators. They say, you know what? My diet depends upon the growing season, and so therefore those opportunities aren't there. I'm just going to sleep this See you one. next year. Yeah. I'm going to sleep this out for a while, mm-hmm. and, and we'll see you next year. Trees, deciduous trees and shrubs and vines do the same thing. They wait it out till, till the going gets better. You know, the, the sun angle's just not strong enough. The temperatures aren't conducive. 
a lot of people don't realize, too, that, that a, a leaf's biological function is very much temperature dependent. The, the enzymes in the leaf that allow for proper chemical reactions, they don't function properly. And so it's just biologically, biochemically, it just doesn't make sense. You know, you think about the conifers, they have a way of getting around that. Mm-hmm. Conifers have a, like a natural antifreeze, essentially, within their needles. Their needles are formed perfectly to guard against water loss. They're very thick, they're tough, they're leathery. And so they take on a lot of the forms that plants in perhaps like the southwest desert would have. Hmm. Deciduous trees don't do that. That's not their, their style, so to speak. Any organism must maintain what we call homeostasis, which is a, a stable balance. And for any plant, the most important balance to maintain is, is the water balance. How is the the balance, broadly speaking, holding up as we're maybe beginning to see the effects of a changing climate? Is that playing out in terms of when the leaves change, when they fall? Have you seen these changes take place? No, I can't say that I have. I can't say that, that there's definitive evidence that we're seeing changes in peak times of color or leaf drop. I really don't think the sample size is great enough yet mm. to be able to draw a definitive conclusion. But I can say that perhaps I've seen a little bit of forward mobility, if you will, of more southern species. Hmm. I've seen a few species be able to flourish in Pennsylvania that maybe wouldn't have 30 years ago. It's pretty common for people to include in their landscapes now species that are more known for being southern species we always talk about like the the northern limit of a southern species or the southern limit of a northern species and and those those geographic lines are are starting to become a little bit blurred hmm. I think that's probably the thing that I've noticed the most. I'll ask you to speculate a little bit from what we have seen from the climate projections, like the the one from 2015 that came out of Penn State, has some fairly specific information, if I recall, about what we can expect temperatures to be like, you know, 50 years out, 100 years out. Going with that as the baseline, I don't know if you how familiar you are with those projections, but if we can assume that that's, that's close to what we're going to end up with, what would the effect be on fall foliage in Pennsylvania? Well, of course, you would see a delay. You, you would expect those, those peak vibrancies, uh, vibrant colors, and, and fall foliage to, to be delayed. I'll give you an example. If you think about the northern hardwoods of Pennsylvania, like Tioga, McKean, mm-hmm. etc., you're thinking about those typically having a peak time of perhaps the end of the first week of October, somewhere in there, maybe October 10th. Somewhere in that range. Okay, so as climate change progresses and, and we stay warmer for longer periods of time, we would expect that to be pushed back perhaps to the second week. You know, maybe a decade later, it's the third. Where does fall foliage rank in terms of outdoor activities that are popular among Pennsylvanians, visitors to Pennsylvania? This is a pretty economically significant activity every year, yes? Yes, Absolutely. I don't know any numbers off the top of my head, but I can tell you that it is it is significant. There are bed and breakfasts. There are wonderful little towns all throughout Pennsylvania that see an enormous boom in activity during this season of fall foliage. Uh, I don't know how many millions of dollars it generates, but I can guarantee you it's a lot of millions. All you have to do is look at 
what it's like during years, perhaps, that it's not as, as great. That doesn't happen very often. We typically have wonderful fall foliage seasons. It really doesn't matter. And that's, again, part of that gift that we talked about um, in Pennsylvania. But yes, the economic impact is, is enormous in Pennsylvania. Well, for more information on fall foliage, where the best views are, tips for observing them, uh, all that and more is at the DCNR website. Ryan Reed is with DCNR, Environmental Education Specialist. Ryan, thanks again for your time today. You're very welcome. Thank you for the opportunity to join you. And that's it for this week on Pennsylvania Legacies. Join us next Friday for a new episode. You'll find all our past episodes on the website at peckpa.org. Of course, you can also find us on SoundCloud and on iTunes. We're on Google Play, on Stitcher, and many other places as well. Pennsylvania Environmental Council is on Twitter at PECPA and also on Facebook. And you can submit your feedback on this show or about anything else you'd like to get in touch with us about by sending an email to legacies at PECPA.org. That's legacies at PECPA.org. And again, the website for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, where you can find the latest on everything from watersheds to illegal dump site cleanups to policy updates to energy and climate research and everything in between. Check it out at PECPA, that's P-E-C-P-A dot O-R-G. Until next week, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson. Thanks for listening.